Hello, and thanks for tuning in to Search for Truth with Brian Johnston, our Bible teacher from Search for Truth, and I'm John Martin. I'm with you again to introduce Brian's message and hymns by our singers. Brian begins a very interesting and topical series of talks today. It's called Tomorrow's Headlines. As you probably guessed, it involves a great deal of teaching about Bible prophecy. Things happen at a great speed in the world today, and we hear about it all so quickly in the newspapers, radio and television, so it'll be interesting and fascinating to see how world events and the Bible relate. One future event Brian will talk about today is the return of Jesus Christ for all Christian believers. Let's enjoy hearing our singers with a verse of a hymn about this. In this series, we hope to look at Bible prophecies and their relationship with the broad outline of world trends, not only as they're emerging today, but also as they've been developing over the past 50 years and more. I don't know, but maybe your first reaction to that is to ask, is it all that important? Isn't it more important to learn about how to live our lives today? I really appreciate that concern. But someone has calculated that more than 25% of the Bible, when written, was about predicting events. But even so, God was aiming more at changing hearts than satisfying any curiosity about the future, with the intention, I'm sure, of preparing our hearts to worship him. Yes, the realisation that God controls the future should bow our hearts in worship. That's what it did for the Apostle Paul. In Romans chapter 11, He'd been considering God's future purposes for Jew and non-Jew. And when he gets to verse 33, he bursts out into praise. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. That verse is well known, but I wanted to remind you of what leads up to it. And what leads up to it is Paul rehearsing prophetically God's plan for the salvation of both Jews and Gentiles. Bible prophecy is also meant to inspire hope and encouragement, as well as worship. Take another of Paul's letters, one which shows how he used teaching on prophecy to stimulate hope and encouragement among his readers. Paul had a lot to say about future events when writing to his friends in Thessalonica, but it's absolutely clear this was no irrelevant or academic discussion. Very real fears there were dispelled by this fuller instruction on the outline of future events as they've been arranged by Almighty God. What an encouragement it would have been for them to be assured, for example, that their believing friends who'd already died were not in any way going to miss out at Christ's return. At the close of every single chapter of his first letter to them, Paul drew their attention to the coming again of Jesus Christ, and he did so for the sake of sharing hope and encouragement. That's quite a remarkable feature of First Thessalonians. Every single chapter ends by focusing on our Lord's return. The Apostle's application of prophecy 
was designed to quicken their spiritual pulse and set their sights beyond the here and now. There's a real sense in which the more we live for the world to come, the better we'll live in this present world. Those early Christians at Thessalonica and elsewhere had an advantage over us in that they were much closer than we are to the language in which the Bible was originally written. In that original Bible language, three different words spell out what's going to happen at the Lord's return. And these words are presence, revelation and manifestation. The first of these words emphasises not so much the simple fact of the Lord's return, but especially his presence with all the Christian believers of this age. Although obviously he must return first for this actual presence to become a reality. Listen to this description of his return for believers, which the Bible gives us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. The experience of this presence, this being with the Lord, begins at the time we've been reading about, which many people refer to as the rapture, which means the snatching up of Christ's church by Christ himself. Snatching up is in fact a good way to describe what will happen because you notice that all believers at the Lord's coming will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You see, he doesn't at that time come all the way down to the earth. He comes to the air and calls all believers on himself to him. It's then that we, the believers, enter into the specific period of being in his presence. The Bible talks about things which will take place during his presence with his saints, which is the best way of translating the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. This special time of his presence with us after the rapture event will, of course, be hidden from the eyes of the world. Life on this planet will go on after all true Christians have been taken away from it. The salt of the earth will have gone, and the earth will become more and more corrupt. At least seven years will run their course on earth, for the Bible describes them in detail, as we'll see later in this series. Terrible judgments and worldwide catastrophes will rock the globe, and the world or a great many in it, will find themselves looking to a world leader for deliverance, a leader who's quite definitely in opposition to God and his Christ. When his true colours are revealed, it will cost many their lives in trying to escape. During all this time, as the earth ripens for God's judgment, the hidden presence of Christ with believers from the church age will continue. But then... At a particular moment, signalled in advance by God, his presence with us is going to be revealed to the world. It'll be dramatically unveiled before a watching world. In Matthew 24 we read, 
For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So the second key Bible word is this word, revelation. There'll come a time when the Lord, after having come for us, will unveil to the rest of the world his presence with us. As a result of this revelation, the glory of the Lord is going to be manifested, is going to become visible. Those are the three Bible words we mentioned earlier, presence, revelation and manifestation. As they apply in our Bibles to the Lord's return, we have first of all the special time of his presence with us in the period after the rapture when he catches us up to be with himself, hidden from the world. Then there will come the moment of revelation to the world as described in Revelation chapter 1. He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. There's no mention of any other than the Lord and the believer in connection with his presence with the church after he comes and takes it to be with himself. Removed and hidden from the world, we will enjoy his presence with us until the moment when the covering veil is drawn aside and the Lord Jesus is revealed to the world in flaming fire from heaven. The effect of this revelation will be that Christ's presence, which we've been enjoying, will become visible or manifest to the whole world, for the Bible talks of the brightness of his coming. It's then the words of Colossians 3 and 4 find their fulfilment. When Christ, who is our life, appears, or is made manifest, then you also will appear with him in glory. To see it in the orderly, two-stage way the Bible presents it, we need to distinguish between those words presence, revelation and manifestation. The manifestation of the glory of the Lord is the result of the revelation and what's being revealed or unveiled is his presence which has been with us ever since the event known as the rapture of the church. I hope these thoughts about this first prophetic event which we as believers are waiting for will fill us today with a sense of assurance for they were designed to do just that for the first century believers at Thessalonica and elsewhere as well as inspiring our worship. A consideration of Bible prophecy is clearly meant to stimulate such a sense of hope and encouragement in us. And there's even more good biblical reasons to look into the prophetic sections of the Bible. For example, the Apostle Peter was even more explicit in saying how knowledge of the future is meant to shape our lives now. When he spoke of the world to come, he stressed it was so that his readers might know what sort of people they ought to be in holy conduct and godliness. In fact, earlier, in his first letter... Peter had already spoken of interest among angels at looking into the fulfilment of the message of the Old Testament prophets. Now if that's the case, it can hardly be inappropriate for us to spend some time considering the prophetic sections of the Bible. The interest and desire Peter records the angels having was a Christ-centred one. And that's the very best reason for our interest in prophecy too. Because the more we study it, the more we find it centred on Christ. 
That's the inescapable conclusion that we can draw from the Apostle John's visions of the future in the Bible's last book. It's called Revelation, as we know, and that's because it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. He's gloriously revealed as being central to God's plan of the ages. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Nothing reveals his majesty better than when we come to see the prominent place that belongs to him in God's eternal purposes. The Bible tells us that the secret things belong to God, but those things which he's revealed belong to us. Surely then it's right. It's right to make our own those matters God's revealed about his future dealings with this world. Thank you, Brian. This promises to be a very interesting series of programmes. The state of the world today is quite threatening to our peace and safety, so it's even more important and reassuring to have faith in God and a sure hope for the future. There are 11 more programmes to be broadcast in this this, uh, series and a free booklet covering the whole series of 12 programmes is available. If you'd like one, ask for the title Tomorrow's Headlines and send it to Search for Truth, Box 246, Bolton, England. You can also include any questions or comments that you would like to give to Brian. He would be pleased to respond and you write to the same address. If you're listening in Australia, then please write to Search for Truth, Box 748, Ringwood, Victoria, 3134. If you prefer email, the address is sft at churchesofgod.info and the website at www.searchfortruth.net. Until next week, this is John Martin saying goodbye, God bless, and thank you for listening today.